I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 143. Uh, we'll be back in Genesis uh, next Sunday, I hope. But today it's Psalm 143. This is a, uh, a gospel-centered psalm. A psalm in which David is pleading with God on the basis of the gospel to hear his prayer. Now, before we read it, let's pause once again and ask for the Lord's help. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we come to you this morning, Father, as needy as ever. Uh, as empty vessels needing to be filled, as uh, broken vessels needing to be put back together again by the gospel. So come, Holy Spirit, and shine the, the light of your truth upon all our hearts. Uh, show us Christ and lead us in the way that we ought to go for his name's sake. Amen. Psalm 143. Let's hear God's word. Psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord, I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O oh Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. The psalm is a prayer. It's a prayer of David, but it could be your prayer. It's a psalm for a believer in trouble, a believer in a dark place. And sometimes when we are in trouble, sometimes when we find ourselves in dark places, we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. And sometimes our hearts grow cold. Let me make a suggestion to you of you find yourself in that place, pray Psalm 143. Pray the Psalms. It's a Psalm of David, and David finds himself in trouble. He's, he's surrounded by enemies. He, he needs help. He, he thirsts for God like a parched land. Things 
have not gone perhaps as he had hoped. He finds himself in a difficult place and so he brings his his needs and his wants before the Lord. And how does he how does he frame this prayer? How does how does he shape it? It's it's there in verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord. So whatever, whatever David is going to ask for, and we're going to look at that in a moment, but whatever David is going to ask for, he's, he's asking for it in such a way that God would be glorified through this. It's not a world removed from what, well, the way we sometimes pray when, when we say things like, for Jesus' sake. I'm not praying this for myself. I'm not merely praying this for my own self-promotion. I'm not praying this for my own glorification. I'm I'm praying this so that Jesus might get glory in the midst of this. Hear my prayer and answer my cry, but for Jesus' sake, that he might get glory. Uh, Martin Luther, we sang one of, well, his his, uh, rendition of Psalm 130 a moment ago. Martin Luther said this psalm, Psalm 143, is one of the four Pauline Psalms. We might want to argue with him about that a little bit. Uh, but Psalms, uh, is it Psalm 30, 32, Psalm 51, Psalm uh, uh, 132, Psalm 143. There's an echo here of what Paul has to say about justification by faith alone apart from, from works. You see it at verse 2, for no one living is righteous before you. Paul, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, there is no one righteous, no, not one, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so this is a psalm that is built upon the fundamentals of the gospel and fundamental to the gospel is the reality that there is no one righteous, no, not one. What I want to do today as we look at this psalm is I want to look at two aspects of it. What David asks for and how he asks it. What he asks for and how he asks it. And so in the first place, what he asks for. If, if you look closely at this psalm, you'll notice that there are, there are 14 or 15 prayer requests. 14 or 15, depending upon how you translate Verse 12, the ESV translation uh, softens it a little bit from being a a request to being a statement where uh, where he says, in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. But some translations, that's translated as another request. So there's 14 or 15 prayer requests. But I think if you were to distill them all down, You could distill them all down into four basic categories, four basic requests. I want to look at these with you. The first, first is a plea to be heard. Uh, Verse 1, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. Lord, hear me. Give, Give me your ear, Lord. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of dark places where, where I see no light, in the midst of 
situations where others don't understand what's going on, when I'm down in the pit, when I'm surrounded by enemies, when no one understands, hear my cry for mercy. David is saying, Lord, Lord, do you hear me? Lord, are, are you listening? And so here's, here's a psalm for you when you find yourself in, in dark places, when you find yourself in a pit surrounded by enemies, when you find yourself in circumstances that you can't make sense of and it seems as though no one else understands or no one else cares to understand. Lord, hear my cry. Will you listen? Hear my prayer. I wonder if you've ever... You know, ever been talking to someone, maybe it's, a, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a family member or, or a friend, and, and you need to communicate something to them, and, and you believe it's important, and so you're pouring out your heart to them, and as you're doing so, you, know, you see on the basis of their eye contact and their body language that they aren't really listening to you. So you say, please, please hear me. Please listen. Please give me your ear. And it's amazing when you think about David's words here and the security of the relationship that the people of God enjoy with their God. David is able to say, Lord, hear my cry. Listen to my pleas for, for mercy. Almighty God, who who knows and, and hears all things, whose, whose ear is always open to the cries of his children. But perhaps, perhaps we have thoughts like, well, God is too busy. Or, or in comparison, you know, my, the, the needs of my life, my small petitions, in comparison to the great needs of this world, they're, they're really not all that important to God. Or perhaps we've, we've thought, Lord, I've brought this petition, I've brought this request to you before, and things haven't really changed at all. So, Lord, are you listening? Do you hear my plea for mercy? This is where this psalm begins. It begins with a plea to be heard. And then secondly, it's a plea for safety. It's a plea to be heard. It's a plea for safety. See it in verse 9. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Again in verse 11, preserve my life, bring my soul out of trouble. And again in verse 12, in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. There's, there's trouble here. There's, there's opposition here. In, in verse 3, he talks about being pursued by his enemy, feeling crushed, sitting in darkness like those long dead. What a picture that is. So he's in trouble and he's, and he's praying for safety, for security, for protection and, and refuge. He's surrounded by enemies. This is, this is David. Uh, this is David. And m many of the Psalms of David that we have, have have specific historical references that help us understand the, the situation that prompted David to write a particular psalm, but there's no specific historical reference attached to this psalm. Actually, a lot of psalms don't have specific historical references, and I've often had the thought that the reason for that, the reason God gave us these psalms in this particular way, 
is because this psalm wasn't just for David in his unique situation. This psalm is for the people of God. This this psalm is, is for the people of God who find themselves in trouble. And all of us have and will experience trouble in our lives. Things have happened. Perhaps people are pursuing your harm. Or perhaps there's some other kind of trouble. Trouble at work, trouble with family. You've lost your job, your marriage is in trouble. What's this psalm telling us to pray? Lord, deliver me from this trouble. Deliver me and hear my plea for mercy. That's my prayer. Deliver me from my enemies. Those enemies can be persons. Those enemies can be circumstances. Those enemies can even be psychological. They're they're real to me, Lord. They keep me up at night. Deliver me from my enemies or deliver me here from my enemy singular. Deliver me from the evil one because it is not against flesh and blood that we wrestle, but against the principalities and powers of the air. And so this is is a plea to be heard. It's a plea for safety. And, And then thirdly, it's a plea for godliness. Yes, in the midst of this, it's a plea for godliness. Verse 8, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make known, make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. I want to know the way that I should go. I want to walk in the paths that you want me to walk. I want to go in the direction that you want me to go. And look at verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. And so while this trouble is going on, in the midst of this trouble, teach me to do your will. Show me the way in which I ought to go. And so when you come before the Lord and when you make personal prayers, when you cry out in the midst of trouble, what what is one of the great goals? One of the great goals we, we learn here for the people of God is to be more like Jesus. To be conformed more and more to the likeness, to be molded and shaped and reformed into the image and likeness of our Savior Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, take me through whatever I need to be taken through, but deliver me from my enemies that they might not triumph in whatever may come. Teach me the way in which I ought to go. Teach me your will to be Jesus-like is at the heart of this prayer for the New Testament Christian. And so we're saying, I I, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to make this prayer just about me and my own comfort and my own ease. We can easily make prayer become that, can't we? We We start to... see it as a mechanism merely for getting what what we want. Hopefully we want to be like Christ. Hopefully we want to walk in God's ways. Hopefully we want to be taught his will. Because this psalm is teaching us to pray in such a way that we might be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. That we might say with Jesus, teach me to do your will, O Lord, for surely... It is my delight 
that's at the heart of this psalm. So it's a, it's a plea to be heard. It's a plea for safety. It's a plea for godliness. And then fourthly, it's a plea for mercy. That's where the psalm begins. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. He's not asking for what he deserves. He's not saying, Lord, look upon, look upon me. Look upon my accomplishments. Look upon my works. Look upon my efforts. Look upon my distinctions. Look upon what I've accomplished in the church and in my community. No, what, what, is, what does David say? He says, no one is righteous. Do not enter into judgment with me. It's a plea for mercy. So think about this with me, just, just for a moment. If the Lord were to give you what you deserve. If the Lord were to give you what you deserve. If the, if the Holy One, in whose presence can dwell no impure thing, were to give you what you deserve. If, if the Righteous One, who always does what is right and just, were to give you and me what we deserve, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a plea. You know, sometimes we feel like we've been shortchanged, as, as though we haven't got, gotten what we deserve, or not in the place of life that we think we ought to be. David's conviction is, Lord, don't give me what I deserve, because if you give me what I deserve, I would be damned. I can't stand before the righteous judge of all the earth. And so instead of saying at the beginning of this prayer, Lord, give me what I deserve, Lord, show me mercy. See, this is, this is the prayer of a broken and contrite heart. That's, that's what this is. It's the prayer of a man who understands who God is and who we are as fallen sons and daughters of Adam. It's, it's, it's the prayer of someone who understands how the gospel works. We do not approach God on the basis of who we are in and of ourselves or upon what we have done. We approach God on the basis of divine mercy. Mercy, I, I, I hope that word is one of the most precious words to you in your vocabu vocabulary. Mercy, not, not getting what we deserve. Now, getting what we don't deserve. We get forgiveness when, when we deserve condemnation. We get acceptance with God when we deserve to be cast out. We get the favor of God when we deserve in and of ourselves the holy, righteous, unmitigated wrath of God. It's mercy. And so this is David's prayer. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. Nothing, nothing in my hands I bring. I am wholly and solely dependent upon your mercy. I am casting myself, myself into the, to the arms of Jesus Christ. Have mercy. And so these are the things he asks for. But secondly, I want you to see how he asks it. Because there is a surprise here. I think it's a surprise. There's something unexpected in how he frames this prayer. 
I want you to, to notice this with me. Notice how he begins. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness. Now, what on earth is that? In, in your righteousness, answer me. Now, follow the logic of that for a moment because you, you'd think that David would say, hear my plea for mercy and, and do not answer me in your righteousness. Because how can a sinner in need of mercy make pleas on the basis of God's righteousness? If, if you answer me in your righteousness, I, I will be condemned. I will be damned. Because God is righteous. He is the, the standard of uprightness. He is, he is the source of purity, a standard my friends, which we fall so far short of that only judgment can be the, the right consequence. And so the question this psalm raises, if we slow down and think about it, is why does David say, answer me in your righteousness? And the answer, I think, is that David is using righteous in a, in a certain sense. The sense that, that God is... God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his covenant. God is faithful to his word. You notice the word faithfulness connected to this. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. You, and you see it again in, in verse 11. It's almost like a bookend to this psalm. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life in your righteousness Bring my soul out of trouble and in your steadfast love. Your covenant love. That word steadfast love, translated steadfast love, appeared earlier back in verse 8. In, in, in the morning, remind me of your steadfast love. It's one of the great Old Testament words. Hesed, referring to God's covenant faithfulness, his covenant commitment to his people. His covenant love for his people. And it has at its very core then the meaning that God shows favor that stems from his covenant. His covenant uh, grace, his, his covenant loyalty to his people, his covenant faithfulness. Because God has made a promise. And so you see, David is clinging to that promise. And so this is a prayer that is offered up on, on the basis of faith. He's coming before the Lord on the basis that he is trusting in a promise that God has given and God has revealed. Trust in the steadfast love of the Lord. Verse 8, for in you I trust and to you I lift up my soul. So he's not pleading on the basis of his own merits. He's not pleading on the basis of his own accomplishments. He's pleading on the basis that his trust is in the Lord. He relies on the Lord and his covenant. He's saying, I trust in you. You made a promise. You made a covenant. A covenant that you made before the foundations of the world and realized in the coming of your son that whosoever believes in him will be saved. Do you remember the words that we used earlier this morning during our confession of of sin, the words of the Apostle John in 1 John 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful 
and just. It's the same wording. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, John is saying the same thing that David was saying in Psalm 143. I'll bring this to, to a point here. There is a sense in which, I'll, I'm going to put it this way, there, there is a sense in which when you believe in Christ, God is obligated to forgive you. Not obligation in the sense that he is reluctant obligated in the sense that he has made a promise. He has bound himself to his word and his covenant. It's the just thing. It's the right thing for God to do because Jesus has died. Because Jesus has made atonement for sin. Because Jesus has taken upon himself all of the sins of his people and carried them to the cross and has canceled the debt and buried them in the depths of the sea because he who knew no sin became sin for us in order that in him we might be reckoned the righteousness of God. Answer me in your righteousness for your name's sake, O Lord. There's a story that Tim Keller tells um, Many of you know Tim Keller, a PCA pastor who planted a church in Manhattan. Um, many of you know him personally. Years ago, when he started out that, that uh, church plant work in Manhattan, he went there with his wife, uh, Kathy, and he said to her, give, give me three years of late nights. Because planting in Manhattan wasn't going to be easy. So he said to her, give me three years of late nights, and I promise after that. Things will get, get easier. Uh, three years went by, and the late nights continued. Three and a half years went by, and the late nights continued. And one night, he came home, came through the door, and, and as he opened the door, he heard the sound of breaking glass. And so he took off his coat, and he went into the other room, and he found his wife down on her knees with all of their wedding china spread out across the floor and a hammer in her hand. He thought she had had an emotional and mental breakdown. So he tried to comfort her and she smashed a, another wedding saucer. And then he tried to comfort her again and later he recognized everything I offered her was nothing more than empty, cheap platitudes. And she looked at him and she said, you're not understanding me. And she took the hammer and raised it and smashed another wedding saucer. And then she looked at him and she said... Uh, this is what you're doing to our marriage. You made a promise. And at that moment, Keller broke down. He was, he was shattered. And uh, Kathy sounds like an interesting lady because then she went on to say, you know, actually, uh, those, those three wedding cups that went with the saucers have been missing for years. <laughs> and uh, I've, I actually prayed to the Lord that I wouldn't have to smash a fourth one before I got through. But my friends, what's the point of that story? The point is this. God has made a promise in his son. A covenant promise in his son. 
to hear your prayers, to protect you and guard you, to guide you, to make you more like Jesus, to show you mercy as you believe in Christ. I wonder if you ever thought of prayer this way. Prayer at times is a bit like taking that wedding china and breaking it before the Lord and saying, you made a promise. Made a promise. I sometimes think we're afraid to pray that way. If that's the truth, then we need to read more of the Psalms. Because that's how the Psalms pray. Those who wrote the Psalms. Some of you are in places in life and, and things are not easy. You find yourselves in difficult circumstances and you are stuck in a dark place. Perhaps at no fault of your own, but things are not the way they should be. And some of you are even, I think, in the crosshairs of, of the evil one and he, and he wants to destroy you. You see, you can pray this psalm in the midst of that situation. Lord, come to my help. Hear my plea for mercy. For your name's sake, answer me in your righteousness. I am wholly leaning on Jesus' name. I am trusting in him and him alone for, for salvation. Hear my cry. Watch over your child. Show me the way that I should go. Show me mercy, Lord, because I'm resting upon Christ and him alone, all that he has accomplished for me. Do it for Jesus' sake. Come into my life. Come into this situation. Come into my family. Come, come into my life and turn it around for your name's sake, O oh Lord. This is how God's word would have us pray. So let's uh, close with prayer and make this prayer our own. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this gospel psalm and we would make it our own. We pray that you would hear us, that you would watch over us, that you would conform us to Christ, that you would show us mercy. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen.